Yeah, some crazy stuff. Yeah, we're glad you're here for this stupid series. <laughs> yeah, you know, Kevin started us off last week, and what I'm going to try to do is take stupid to another level today. And I know some of you are thinking, well, they got the right guy. I appreciate that confidence you have in me. Uh, last week, Kevin opened up, and he talked about knowing God. And knowing him, we can trust him. And trusting him, we will love him. And loving him, we will obey him. But what happens when we don't obey? In that moment, when we love whatever it is we are choosing more than we love him, what does that say? What does it say about our relationship with him? What happens when we do something stupid. You know, I feel like I'm constantly talking to people uh, about these, these things. People who have a heart for God. People who have a hunger to live a life that's honoring to him. People whose lives are bent toward obey, obedience. But they, then they look at their life and they're going, wow. They see these inconsistencies and these struggles and they're wondering, what's going on there? What does that say about me? and my relationship with him. And sometimes they ask those questions about people they love. They are concerned for those that are in their their family or friends that they see struggling, and they want to know those questions, what it's all about. It's, It's an issue that if you follow Jesus, you can't help but be engaged in. So it's important stuff for us to look at. I think there's at least a couple of different levels of stupid things that we do. And I want to talk about those today and hopefully uh, give us some things to hang on to as we go forward. So here we go. Level one, the basic level, all of us are guilty of doing stupid things at this level. It's not just that we're capable of doing them, we're guilty of it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced it. The Apostle Paul himself talked about his own struggles at that level Listen to his words, Romans chapter 7, you have a Bible, you can turn there, Romans chapter 7, verse 15, where he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Boy, you been there? Many Many times. We all know what it's like when you've just done something that you know you shouldn't have done. And you're thinking, boy, I don't understand. I don't know why I would do that again. I hate it, but I did it anyway. And and in that moment, one thing you've got to know when that happens, you're not alone. That doesn't, that doesn't make it okay, that doesn't make it right, that doesn't you know, make it acceptable, but you're not alone. The fight against our old nature is a battle that we all face. Paul goes on in verse 19, he says, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil thing that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do 
good. He's just pouring out his thoughts here. He's looking at his life. He's passionately describing what he's experiencing. The fact that there's evil in us. Even when we want to do good. Even when we've been changed by Christ. Changed so completely that scripture tells us here that when we sin, it's no longer us doing it, but sin which dwells in us. Well, what in the world does that mean? Is that some kind of cop-out? Is that some kind of excuse? Is that saying, well, when I sin, I'm no longer responsible? You know, sin living in me is not me. It's, is that what it's saying? No. We have sin living in us, but that's not who we primarily are now. That's no longer what we are as our core. Who you and I primarily are, if you're a follower of Jesus, are God's holy people, what the Bible calls saints. We aren't holy because we're so good in ourselves. We're holy because when we came to Christ, he credited us with his holiness. Are we sinners? Yes. So much so that Paul just a few verses later, calls himself a wretched man. Wretched man. We're, we're so wretched that even though God has changed us, we still choose sin. But that's not who we are at our core. You ever notice when Paul writes his letters to these churches, if you read through your Bible, you ever notice that he doesn't, address them, hey, like to Rome or to Ephesus. He doesn't address them, hey, to the sinners at Rome, to the sinners at Ephesus. No, who's he addressed to? To the saints at Rome, to the saints at Ephesus. We are different now. We are saints who happen also to sin. But that sin is inconsistent with who God made us to be. And that's why it bothers us so much when we sin. Because it's inconsistent with who we are. If we are truly, in fact, Christians, it bothers us. And when I say that, that means that what it means to be a Christian is you've come to a point of realizing that you have sin in your life, that sin has separated from you, you from God, that sin is deserving of judgment, and there's nothing that you can do to fix that. There's no step you can take. There's no level of goodness you can try to reach. There is nothing that you can do to fix that. And so you come to a realization that you are in desperate need. And you come to a realization that that's why Christ came in the first place, to die on a cross, to pay a perfect sacrifice, to take care of our sin. And so you come to a moment where you've realized that and you've turned to him in trust. And now what you are relying on completely to take care of that sin is what he did for you and nothing that you're doing for him. Now, when you come to that point of faith, you become a Christian. That's what changes your life. And once we've come to that point, we, and he changes us, we go through this radical transformation that causes us to have a desire to live obediently to him so we keep evaluating our lives and we keep fighting our sin why because it's not who we are any longer 
And when we sin, when we do something stupid, we feel conviction. We can, that's, that's part of the work of God's spirit in our lives. And conviction is more than just feeling bad about it, like, wow, I wish I hadn't done that. No, it's recognizing that that stupid thing we just did hurts the one that we say we love. And he grieves. And we grieve. And then out of that conviction comes confession where we express our grief to him and we express and ask for forgiveness and we ask for things to be made right again. And then we get up and we move on and we keep on and we keep on fighting, never giving up, never giving in. And that struggle will go on and on until the day this life is over. We'll never reach a point in this life when that struggle is done, when we've arrived, when we've achieved, where we've reached some plane where we can't be touched. That will happen for us one day when this life is over, and it'll be great that sin will no longer be present in our lives. But we won't reach there in this life. So we've got to know we're in this battle for the long haul. That's something that all believers face for their entire lives. That's level one. We've all been there. We all do stupid things that we hate. The good news is that even when we do those things, we know that they've been dealt with through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And we know, as Paul later writes in just a few verses later, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no judgment against us. Great news for us. There's another level of stupid, though. It's level two. And it's when we do something stupid and we won't turn from it. And that's messed up. The writer of Hebrews is dealing with some similar situations. And in chapter 12, he's writing here to people who have said they're Christians. But they've got an ongoing sin in their life. And for whatever reason, they are leaning towards keeping it going. And, and they think they're okay. I mean, we run into people like this all the time, right? Today, people who say they're Christians, they've got an ongoing sin in life that they're not turning from. And they think they're okay with God and that God's okay with them. Somehow it just sort of gets by. You know, that's the thing about stupid. It's deceptive. People think whatever they got going on in their life, whatever they're hanging on to, that's sin, that there's some benefit to them in that. And so they hang on to it. But in hanging on to that, they, they don't see the danger of it. All they see is what they think is a benefit, so they hang on to it. Whatever it is, they don't see the danger. You know, Sort of like in the video bump. You know, nobody gets on a treadmill and thinks they're going to face plant on it, right? They think they're safe. Nobody gets on a motorcycle and stands up on it and thinks they're going to fall off, right? They think they're safe. You know, I know there's some adrenaline junkies out there that just, you know, they they don't care. But their benefit is the rush, right? They're looking for some benefit and they think there's no great cost They're going to hold on to what they're doing. And 
I missed the danger. Here's the danger. This is a different level because this is where people are continuing to sin. They know and believe that they're okay. And we know from Hebrews chapter 12 that one of two things happens in that situation and neither of those options are good. So starting in Hebrews 12, verse 4, it says this. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Love this verse. He's looking at these people who are sort of giving up spiritually. They don't want to fight the battle anymore. And you know what he's saying here? Essentially what he's saying to them is, stop your whining. They're like, you know, following Jesus is hard. I have, to, I have to give up some stuff that I really like to follow Jesus. It's hard. People do that all the time, don't they? I've got an area of my life that I'm just hanging on to. And I, and I love this area of my life. And, oh yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I love this area. Forget what the Bible says. I'm going to do this. Because to do what God says, it's too hard. So they're hanging on, thinking that there's a benefit. And he's telling them, you guys should buck up. I've compared it before to being married to a nurse. Okay. Now, I've got it good, I will admit. But being married to a nurse, it's not like some people think. I've had guys say to me, you're married to a nurse, that must be nice. When you're, you know, when you got a cold, she'll take care of you. You know, when you got, you got, you got a cut, she'll take care of that. You know, I'm like, no. That is not the way it is. Like I tell you, they see a lot worse They've probably seen worse this day. And so it's more like step up and be a man. The writer of Hebrews is right looking at these Christians and he's like, step up. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. He just challenged them, consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. Jesus sacrificed. He went through a lot more. His struggling and his suffering was greater than anything that you're going to experience. Step up. You haven't resisted your sin to the point of shedding of blood. So come on. Whatever it cost you to follow him in his word, to be obedient to him, is worth it. Think about him and buck up, move on. But then he says this, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So here's the answer for people who are doing stupid things and they won't turn from them. And he begins to talk about the discipline that God gives out. And let me just point out something here. When you see somebody going through some tough situation, that does not mean that is necessarily directly related to a specific sin in their lives, okay? We can't make that mistake of assuming that. We, that's what Job's friends did, right? They, they made the assumption that Job must have done something wrong for all this bad stuff to happen to him. And he's like, no, no I didn't do it. And, and, and we can't make that same assumption. Some of God's greatest servants have had to endure the toughest situations in life. We'd expect that to happen. That's why the Bible has told us, Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Many are the, of the, are the afflictions of the righteous. And those afflictions come for different reasons. Sometimes it's a preventative thing. That's what, like what Paul talked about, that thorn in the flesh that he had, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. It said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So it's preventative to keep him from getting all wrapped up in pride. And then sometimes it is discipline when things happen. And the writer here is saying, when it happens... Don't make light of it. Realize that it isn't chance happenings. Don't ignore it. Pay attention. And don't faint. Don't wither up. Don't give up. When God disciplines us, don't give Why? Verse 6, for those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. Those he loves. It's a huge contrast to Job's friends, right? Who said, hey, God's angry with you, Job. You did something wrong. No, he's, it's love that causes God to do that for us. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. And what is he shouting to us in our pain, in our dis that he loves us and he wants us back? You notice what it doesn't say here? You know, it doesn't say, hey, they did something stupid and they won't turn from it, so he kicks them out of the family doesn't say that. This is what happens when a child of God sins. When he does stupid things and he won't turn from them, our father disciplines us. That's what typical families do, right? I mean, your kids, they do something wrong. They do something very wrong. You don't disown them. You discipline them because you love them. You want them to learn what's right, but you don't kick them out of the family. How much greater is God's love for his children? 
He disciplines us because he loves us. He doesn't disown us. But that discipline isn't something enjoyable. It's sorrowful. So we do something stupid and we keep it up. Guess what? Facing God's discipline, it's a big deal. Is it something you can take lightly? It isn't something you can say, oh, yeah, yeah. Facing God's discipline isn't going to be fun. It isn't going to be easy. It's going to be tough. It's going to hurt. It's a scary thing. But there's something even scarier in this passage. And that is when we do something stupid and we won't turn from it and then there's no discipline. Did you catch that? Verse 8, why that's even more dangerous? A reason to be concerned if God doesn't discipline us is because then the scriptures tell us that we are illegitimate, that, that those who don't receive discipline are not really his. The point here being, these are people who claim to be Christians. They hung around the church. They were a part of it. He says, but in reality, they never were his. See, it doesn't matter if we claim we're Christians. If we have sin that is continuing in our lives and we aren't convicted of that sin, and we don't turn from that sin, and then no discipline happens. The Bible doesn't give us an option here. It says we aren't really his. It's a scary thing. I get asked a lot about certain people and certain situations. You know, what about this person? What about, you know, this person who's, you know, they're living and they've got some sin in their life and it's blatant and it's obvious and they won't turn from it. Or, hey, this person, they were in church and they were in church for several years and then they're gone. And what happened to them? And, you know, what they ask, and they, people want to know, well, what about that person? And I have to say, I don't know. I don't know about specific individuals and where they stand exactly before God, but I do know this. If they were ever God's children, truly Christians, they will always be God's children. And if they are disobedient, he will discipline them. I know too, if they are not God's children now, they never were God's children, no matter what they said or did, and he won't discipline them because they're not his. So if someone doesn't receive discipline from God when they're in ongoing disobedience and unwilling to turn, it is a huge, huge warning sign. 
The writer here compares God as father to our earthly fathers. He said, you know, we, our earthly fathers, we respected them. We submitted to them. And they disciplined us, but, you know, they were just disciplining us for a little while as they thought best, which is pretty subjective sometimes, isn't it? You're, you're a parent. You know, we know the limitations of earthly fathers. It's tough. You know, we, we have to try to make decisions with limited knowledge and limited strength and limited expertise. We're just trying to do our best. And sometimes it's pretty pitiful. I got to take a second to introduce you to the newest member of our family, Riley Kay. Yeah. Our granddaughter was born just over a week ago uh, to Carrie and Cameron over in Paulding, and they're all doing great. But uh, after they got home, they posted another picture on Facebook. <laughs> and under that picture, they posted, help us, we're new parents and have no clue what we're doing. <laughs> that's the way with all new parents, isn't it? And, and that's the way it is when you're not still new parents. I mean, they get, they're 18 years old and you're trying to discipline them that's a whole other world we try with un, with limited knowledge to do our best he disciplines absolutely for our good with unlimited knowledge and unlimited expertise and then we're told for those who are trained by it there's this peaceful fruit of righteousness. Those who learn from that discipline, good news, there's peace, a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That discipline, if we learn from it, it will separate us from sin and it will bring us closer to God. Great news. And so then he says in verse 12 of Hebrews 12, Therefore, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Hey, guys, again, he's challenging them. Get up, get moving. Because of the discipline of God, it's something that you're not going to enjoy. It's, it's something that's going to hurt. It's something that's going to be painful. You don't want to experience it. Get everything back in its place. Get everything working like it's supposed to because God, he's going to discipline you, not to punish you. He's going to discipline you out of his love so that your life will be changed. Our loving heavenly father has a plan for our good and discipline is part of that plan. It will produce great results. It will be significant not only in our lives but in the lives of others. It will be significant for the kingdom of God. Hey, we all do stupid things. And it doesn't matter what level of stupid we've done. A loving, heavenly father is waiting if we'll turn, if we'll turn back to him. He's waiting for us. It's like the story of the prodigal son, right? You remember the father seeing the son coming afar off. He's waiting, longing for his son to come home. We've all done stupid things. A loving Heavenly Father is there waiting, looking, wanting us to turn back to him. 
It doesn't matter what we've done. Maybe we're, you know, we're, we're level one sort of stupid. We, you know, we're struggling. We're trying to do our best. We're trying to honor God with our lives. And, but, you know, we, we struggle. And that's, again, that's part of it. And every time we come back to him and we turn to him and we confess our sin, he welcomes us back. He forgives us he, and, and he gives us a, a, a clean slate and allows us to move on with him. It doesn't matter if you've been leveled two for years and you've been living in disobedience. I don't care how long. I don't, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you've been living in disobedience and he's convicted you of that and if you'll turn to him right now, he will come. He will welcome you home. That's great. If you've never turned to him, it doesn't matter what you've done in life, good or bad. If you've never turned to him, you turn to him now and ask him to come into your life. He will do that, and he will welcome you home for the very first time. And he will walk with you through life. Every single victory and every single disappointment, he will walk through life with you if you'll turn to him. Just a minute, we're going to stand up and we're going to close in prayer and this is what I invite you to do if you've been around Grace for very long you know we've got room one back here if you're new to Grace there's a room right back here we call room one and uh, in that room after the service is over there will be pastors there and we would love to talk to you if you're thinking boy yeah I just you know I've got I'm struggling back and forth and I just like to I'd just like for somebody to pray with me. There will be a pastor there who will pray with you just to say, hey, you know, we want to support you and encourage you along the way in that struggle that we're all in. If you're more level two and you've been, you know, away for a while, we want to pray with you. You don't have to tell us what you've done. You're not coming confessing to us. But you just want somebody to pray with you and you want to, you want to get it cleaned up between you and God. You can come back there and just let us be there with you as, you as you pray, as you trust him, and we can pray for you at that moment. And if you've never come to him by faith and know what it is to have a father who loves you infinitely, it will change your life for all eternity. We would love to talk to you about that. You come back to that room. One of the pastors will, will sit with you and talk with you, answer any questions you have so you can come to know him. Don't leave here today without having fixed that situation in your life. Whatever price you pay, it will be worth it. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, which has gripped so many hearts in this room and changed them, Father, in a way that we can't fully explain. Thank you for new life in Christ. And God, I pray that you would take us today, whatever area that we all may be in, that God, we would 
leave here today with a renewed commitment to live obediently before you. Give us strength to do that. Help us to rely on you to do that. And Father, help us never to quit. Help us, Father, at that point where we are uh, feel like we haven't won a victory in a long time, to just get up and get moving again, not to give up. Father, for those that may be here that have struggled with a sin, maybe not even struggled with it, they've just been in it for, for some time now, and they've been uh, not responding, God, to your word. I pray that today they would take that step of faith, trust and become obedient in that area. And God, for those who have never taken a step of faith and come to you, Father, that today they would know you and know the life that you can give. God, we pray this thanking you for that ultimate sacrifice of your son who gave all for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. Hey, we want you to invite you to come back next week. Don't forget, string starts next Sunday. Thank you, you are dismissed. It's really simple. As Christians, we follow God as he has revealed himself through the Bible, Old Testament and New, through the prophets, and ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. And we're realizing that God is perfect, and he is righteous. And because of that, his standard is perfect. And his standard is righteous. Which is bad news for all of us because we've all violated God's standard. All of us, Christian, Muslim alike, we've all violated God's standard. But because God not only created us, but he loves us, he made a way, one way, through Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus came to live a perfect life, like I mentioned, but also voluntarily gave his life to pay for our sins. But we don't get that automatically. The way we get salvation, the way we get righteousness is through faith, just like Abraham. And he believed God and it was credited to him. He didn't earn it. It was just credited to him as righteousness. And it's the same with us today. We have to come to a point in our life where we repent, turn away from our way of living, and believe and trust in the gospel, what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And my fear is that today people will be sitting here, you see, it's not just understanding the gospel that makes you a Christian. It's not intellectually believing that Jesus was the son of God or even the resurrection, which we can historically show a lot of evidence and proof for that outside of Christian sources. See, that's not it. To be made right with God is to orient our life toward him, realizing that we're sinners, Jesus isn't, 
and he died to make a sacrifice for our sins. And the way we get that free gift, what we call grace, is by placing our belief, our trust, our faith in Christ alone. And the question is, have you come to a point in your life where you've done that? If you have, you'll notice that your life will begin to change from the inside out. And you'll start behaving differently, not to earn your salvation. Salvation's already already given to you. You'll do that just in response to God's love. I'd like us to all bow our heads, and I don't want to close without just giving an opportunity that if you're here and you're not 100% sure that you've come to this point in your life where you've trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone, minus nothing, I mean, nothing else, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not about you living a good life. It's all about what Jesus has done. Now, if you don't know if you've done that, I want to invite you to place your faith, your trust in Jesus. And you can do that, Scripture tells us in Romans 10, by calling out to God. And here's, here's the way you can make your prayer. And so God knows everything. He knows everything you're thinking, so you can pray silently. And if you're ready to place your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation, and you're not sure you've ever done that before, not sure you've ever done that before, then follow me in this prayer. Make this prayer your prayer. Put it in your own words. However, just pray this to God right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving me and Lord, I admit my sin, and I know there's nothing I can do to make up for that. So, Father, I I thank you so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life without sin, but still voluntarily gave up his life to pay for my sins. God, I thank you for that greatest gift. And, God, I'm placing my faith, my, my trust in Jesus and what he did alone realizing I'm not helping in any way with that. And God, I invite you to come into my life and help me to live it in a way that pleases you, not to earn salvation. Salvation's a gift. Just to love you back. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like our heads to still be bowed. I'm just going to ask, just so that we can pray for you just so that you can kind of make a little bit of a, just between you and me, just say, yeah, Kevin, I did that. If you're, if you're new here, I promise I'm not going to call you down or embarrass you. But while our heads are bowed and no one's looking around, I'd like you to make eye contact with me. If you prayed that prayer, and as far as you know, it's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, just pop your hand up. And starting over here on the Smith Road side, this section, if you prayed that prayer this morning, you just lift your hand. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just make eye contact, kind of signal me, put your hand back down. That's it. So I can pray for you right now. Put it up. Back down. How about this middle section towards Smith Road? Raise your hand. Thank you. I see you right there. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Back there. And then right back down. Thank you. And then this section here uh, by the soundboard. I see you right back there. Thank you, sir. Saying, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I'm I'm placing my faith, my trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. If you prayed that, just put them up, put it up, then right back down. And then over on this side, I see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Over here, 
See it back there. I just pop it up. Pop it back down. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these who raised their hand. And Lord, we don't want to manipulate them or, or violate their privacy in any way. Lord, if they need to talk to somebody, Lord, we're available in, in room one, and we pray that you'd help them to have the courage to come and talk if that's what they need. Lord, give them the courage to tell somebody, somebody they know or somebody who's a believer in their life that they made this decision. And God, we thank you for everybody here, especially those who turn their hearts towards you. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Like our heads bowed, just one more, I've got one more question for you. It's a broader question. Um, scripture tells us as believers, one of the things that we do is we follow God and believers' baptism. And I know in this room, there's probably a lot of people who have come to Christ, but since coming to Christ have not been baptized as a believer. By the way, baptism does not get you heaven. It does not earn you anything with God. It's just what we should do. It's what God told us to do. It's just an obedience thing. But right now, all across the auditorium, if, if you've become a believer and since then have not been baptized, and I'm talking about baptism by immersion like we have in the New Testament, I'd like you to just kind of raise your hand. With everybody's head bowed, just say, yeah, I fall into that category. I'm not going to make you do anything. Just... Yeah, I've become a believer, and since that time, I've not been baptized. You know, we have a few hands all over the room. I just want to tell you something. You can put them down. Uh, we have baptism scheduled coming up, outdoor baptism in, in a few weeks. And you can mark that on a card. We just want to help you be obedient to God. So we just want to make that you aware of that. You can fill it out on a card. You can grab one of the card, cards from the chair in front of you now that the offerings already happened, and just mark it and drop it off at the info table or wait till next week and mark it. And that's just saying, hey, I'm interested. I want some information. We'll contact you and give you the information you need. Hey, thanks for being here. Let's stand together. Next week, let me just tell you something. Next week, I was going to talk about Scientology. But I realize there's a lot bigger issue that I think we need to unsnarl a little bit. And it's regarding Catholicism. And so next Sunday, we're talking about what are the differences between what we call biblical Christianity and Roman Catholicism? So that's the topic for next Sunday. Hope to see you then. Have a great day. You're dismissed.